Time to educate your kids, Ed. It might be, actually. Or mm -hmm. time to send them to the farm. There's enough education for us to go around, me and you. Does everyone get a minus one to their education? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that, only, ha that <laughs> only happens for the person who bought the first stupid restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and laugh it up. Laugh it up, restaurant owner. It was worth me losing one just to get it. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we build enticing neighborhoods in hopes of luring the populace to our suburbia. Next up, we're competitive gnomes trying to amass the finest library in Ex Libris. And lastly, betrayal and coups in a trivia game? Yes, as we play In Pursuit. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein, and Mega is an anagram for game. I'm Ed Folaitis, and I never look back, darling, distract from the now. I'm Joe Unfried, and all the world's a game, with the people in it merely players. I'm Mike Rainier, and I trade sheep for stone. Hey, Joe, do you know what Patreon is? It's a colorful, skimpy garment worn by elephants on special occasions. Close. It's actually a way to support this podcast and get more episodes of the show this very minute. You can subscribe for just $3 a month and get access to an exclusive patron-only catalog of episodes. And you'll get access to more new exclusive episodes every month. Go to our website, whichgamefirst.com, and click on Become a Supporter today. Our first game up this week is Suburbia, designed by Ted Alspach, published by Bezier Games in 2012. Number of players 1 to 4, ages 8 and up, runtime 90 minutes. Ed, you brought this game to the table. Where'd you find it? Oh, it just magically appeared on my shelf after bringing it home from the store. <laughs> <laughs> I love when that happens. Tell us a little bit about how it's played. Suburbia is a tiling game where you plan to develop your borough into a major metropolis. Each turn you decide which new tile to add to your bureau, which represent different residential, commercial, civic, and industrial development. These developments will affect your income, reputation, and population. At the end of the game, the player with the highest population wins the game. And why did you bring this game to the group? Well, city building is a fun theme, and I'm pretty sure we all play some type of game like this on the computer. Evan, Ed, and I had a fun time playing. Joe and Mike are here with questions. Evan, what would you think of the game? A chance to build a town as you would have it built. Evansburg is open for business. And Joe, how about you? Laying tiles, just another method of exploration. And you all know how I love exploration. And Mike, how about you? I'm looking forward to learning more about life in the burbs. And Ed, how about you? Build the city of tomorrow today! <laughs> Well, a cowboy city anyway. <laughs> yeah, this game is very close to a board game version of SimCity, which Ed alluded to. But unlike SimCity, I love the uniquely communal and competitive features of this board game. For example, we all had to buy from the same selection of available resources. So that was a cool communal aspect of the game that you don't get with SimCity. So there was a, a bunch of tiles laid out. Hex-shaped tiles, by the way. None of this square nonsense, thank you. Hexes, life is hexes. <laughs> right, down to, right down to the atoms, they are constructed as hexes. We are hexes. I feel the same as Evan. Thank you. Yeah, a very smart layout. Um, that gives you six sides to build off of because you have to build your tiles off of the previous mm -hmm. tiles in mm -hmm. order to make your map. 
Um, and it does give you lots more options having a hex rather than a square. And it just looks nicer. It does. It does. <laughs> and by the way, SimCity squares. Yep. So. <laughs> are you talking about the designers of SimCity or squares? Or just totally. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I spent many hours playing uh, city simulation games in my halcyon 20s mm. uh, in my tiny one-bedroom apartment over a Chinese restaurant. So I'll say nothing bad about <laughs> that. Your main resource in the game is money. And you're trying to increase your population. Income is your money per turn, and reputation is your population you gain each turn. Is it like another builder game where there's a time where you want to start focusing on getting your population, or do you want to just right off the bat be increasing your population? I think you want to be increasing right off the bat, because eventually you're going to get to a stack of cards that you turn over that denote the end of the game, and you don't really have a great idea as to when. You kind of know where it's coming in the last third of the game, but you don't know when that tile is going to be revealed, so... Uh, it would be sad if you were too many points behind and didn't have a chance to catch gotcha. up. So I think you should be paying attention to population throughout the game. Does it hurt you to have a big population early, though? Yeah, it does a little bit. Because every time you increase your city to a certain point on the uh, chart, it reduces your income and your reputation. So as your city gets larger, it becomes harder to generate mm -hmm. the, the resources you want. A little bit, you're right. Do you have a hard time having your utilities keep up with a population that's growing too quickly? No, Joe, that's actually a difference. Utilities is not something you worry about in this game. You okay. just uh, worry about having sort of a balance of um, – you don't even really need a balance, but there is a lot of synergy in the game, meaning tiles play off of one another. Mm, uh, for example, like some municipal buildings will give you more money if you have more municipal buildings. And unlike Evan, who did build his population fast at the beginning – I were I worked more toward building my income first and it really paid off. I was way behind in population at the beginning, but I was able to blow through population bars later because I had so much income. Yep, you build that engine wow. first and then uh, let it crank. Yeah, 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 the income is I think probably the most important thing to build early and uh, I read that in the strategy guide afterwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, afterwards. Perhaps I should have read that too. <laughs> it's a good point that the early builds are important because the game is about 15 to 18 terms long. So something that gives you a couple of bucks per turn early can basically give you like 30, 36 money to play with later overall. Huge, huge advantage because if you have a lot of money, you can buy those tiles early. So the good tiles don't get away from you. And so I found that I was able to buy really expensive tiles and then all of a sudden make all that money back because my engine was really cranking. Mm. And actually, oftentimes, the tile that I would buy at an expensive rate, I would put down immediately and it would right away give me a lot of money back. Yep, you made wise investments early. I thought the game iconography was pretty simple. There was only a few different symbols to learn. Mm -hmm. and, but you did need to read the ability of the tile fairly carefully in some cases. Oh, yes, very carefully. <laughs> Especially, oh, I don't know, for example, maybe the fancy restaurants. Yeah, the fancy <laughs> restaurants. Yeah. When they tell you right, right on the descriptor, oh, for every buy this fancy restaurant, then for every restaurant built afterwards, suffer a minus one to your income. Oh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Evan thought, yeah, Evan thought that everybody else would be getting the minus one uh, because <laughs> because that's how it actually reads. But then, if you choose to read the rule book about specifically that card, it tells you something differently. So, a little bit of a grudge with me in that in this game, and particularly the fancy restaurants, because I'm like. Great. I'll take the first fancy restaurant. Then all restaurants, no matter what, come after me. They'll all suffer. <laughs> nope. Wrong. Oh, 
other restaurants built after this get minus one income. <gasps> Ooh, I didn't know that. Is that, that. for me or for anyone else? It's all other restaurants. Ooh, so I bought the first restaurant. So oh, you bought the first advantage. fancy restaurant. Darn you for reading, well, Evan. <laughs> oh, everybody else is building restaurants, and I'm taking a minus one punch in the face basically every time somebody else. Plus, you don't want to build other restaurants yourself either because you're giving yourself a minus right. one. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So not Even other restaurants that you make, if you set up a successful chain right. in this. Right. Oh, wow. There's all other restaurants. Right. So uh -huh. some cards affect universally and yeah. some cards only affect you. And that speaks to the point of it was a little tricky to track everything yes. because the special abilities build up fast. Can you build stuff in other people's burrows? No, I no. wish. I wish. I totally sabotage everyone. You can affect other people's burrows with stuff like like restaurants or movie theaters. For for example, if a if a lot of restaurants were built, you can then build a farm, which gets you extra income for every restaurant that's out there. Oh, so you oh. have to be careful you're not helping your opponents by building certain things that will help yes. them more than you. That's, that's right. I just thought there was a lot to keep track of. I did a pretty good job of doing it, but I feel like a, a first-time player who wasn't familiar with simulation games might have a trouble tracking it all. There were 20 pieces down, you know, at some point, and 12 of them had special abilities that I had to track for every single turn to make sure I was getting all, all of my income, all of my population, getting everything I was supposed to have coming to me. So it was a, quite a bit. I had two things to track personally on my own personal board, and then there was a victory board over on the side that tracked population. Well, the good thing is by the time you're tracking about 20 tiles on your own territory, you're getting close to the end of the game. I love the lake tile option. Is that like a is that a, like a tourist attraction or something like a beach or No, it's really like blank space that you stick in the middle. You actually pull any tile off of the uh, selection of tiles and you flip it over because every single tile has a lake on the other so side. So a government tile, flip it, it's a lake. Uh uh <laughs> Industrial tile, flip it. It's a link. Mm -hmm. And oh, you don't okay. have to pay for it's it. It's actually a, a mechanic you can use to deny other people something they think they need. And that did happen, yep. That's what I love about it. I can't afford it, but I can turn it into a lake. <laughs> oh. So this way she doesn't get it. Early on in the game, Ed, you grabbed the mint to prevent mm -hmm. Celeste from getting it and boom, flipped it over, turned it into a lake. Oh, so why are you grabbing that? It's going to cost you all your money. Ah, I see what he's doing. Yeah, because the lake, if you flip a tile over, it doesn't cost you any money. So the mint might be $15, but you can just pull it from the line, flip it over, make it a lake and get it for free. Oh, okay. Right. If it's in one of the free spots, you'll pay zero. But if there's a if there's a modifier to pay extra for that particular tile, you still have to pay the so modifier. So the pieces like slide down a little bit. Right. So the newer tile that just showed up were more expensive than the one that been on the board for a while. Oh, okay. It goes. It's a. Con I call it a conveyor belt. <laughs> Did you guys ever have to issue bonds or go into go into heavy debt? There, there are no loans in the game. Yay! No loans, no debt. <laughs> but you. But yes, on your on your money card that tracks your money and all uh, and your reputation, there are negative spaces. So each round, you could find yourself paying money instead of receiving oh. money. Or losing population, which is essentially losing victory points. One other thing we haven't talked about yet was uh, there's also these gold tiles. You have like three public gold or a number of public gold equal to the number of players you have. Yeah. And then each player gets to choose one of two hidden goals that are for themselves only. Not no. And you that's not exactly right. Those hidden. Yes, those hidden goals are for you, but 
it also is an effect for all the players. Well, Ashley uh, made a mistake there. I reread the rules oh. later, <laughs> and those uh, those are only achievable by you. Oh, whoops! Oh my wow. God! Oh, so Celeste didn't get those extra twenty points. But I still would have won. She kicked up butt so well, she didn't need them. <laughs> yeah, I still I didn't even need your points, Evan. <laughs> no, 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 you didn't. You know why? You know why? Because much like the game Dune, if you'll remember, Ed totally blasted me out in the last round, made a play in which I was forced, I was pigeonholed into making a play to catch up with Ed so I didn't lose 10 points. But Evan's not bitter. Yeah. Not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm only, keep, I'm only keeping notes about Dune and, and now Suburbia, the two games in okay. which Ed made last round moves to deliberately screwed me out of victory. Yeah, he puts it in his grudge book. The grudge book. Yes, thank you, Mike. Oh, yeah. Well, on the bright side, this game won the Men's to Select Award in 2013. Yeah, and I, I think rightly so. It's very well balanced, and it has a lot of interesting things to see, and it is extremely adherent to its theme, and its theme is important to the mechanics of the game. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Suburbia. Joe, what do you think? And withholding judgment since I didn't play it, but it sounds intriguing. I wasn't even present for the game, but I'd love to play it sometime based only on hearing the conversation between you guys. And Evan, how about you? Replayability galore. So I am digging it up and I can't wait to seek revenge. I mean, have another go at this fun game. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, how about you? Um, I didn't play it this time around, so I'm going to hold my judgment, but it seems like it would be really fun right up my alley. And Ed, how about you? Dig it up. It's a fun city building game, easy to learn, has a good variety of tiles, and has interesting interactions. And for me, I'm going to say dig it up, not only because city simulation games have a special place in my heart, but this one is really well paced with a payoff of some kind every turn. Ed, where can you find it? The MSRP is about $60. The game is available at your local hobby stores and online. And if you have thoughts about Suburbia, let us know. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Which Game First. We'd love to hear from you. Our next game up this week is Ex Libris, designed by Adam McIver, published by Renegade Game Studios in 2017. Number of players 1 to 4, ages 12 and up, runtime 30 to 60 minutes. Joe, you brought this game to the table. Where did you find it? I found the physical copy of this game in Ed's archives, but if it wasn't there, I would have gone out to buy it myself. I've wanted to play this game for a long time. And tell us a little bit about how it's played. The game is set in a gnomish village, casting the players as book collectors in a high-adventure fantasy world. And as you might suspect with such a premise, the gnomes aren't just reading the books to kill time. They're researching contingency plans for messing with the next dragon attack or an undead uprising. That's why the town's new position of Grand Librarian is both lucrative and prestigious. And that's why all the players are trying to get it by winning the contest for who builds the best book collection. And why'd you bring it to the table? I've never seen a game where setting things into alphabetical order holds such a high priority. Ed, what did you think of the game? Quick, send that assistant to the old book swap to grab that copy of The Ancient Ones are tons of fun and almost unspeakable evil. <laughs> that will fill our library quite nicely indeed. <laughs> and Evan, how about you? There's no place like the library. And I'm not just talking about fairy tales. <laughs> and Mike, how about you? Even a library full of forbidden lore and epic incantations needs to be organized. And Joe, how about you? 
As someone who thinks they might have missed their calling by not majoring in library science, I was positively mortified by how many errors I made in alphabetization. Oh, it happens. Yeah, an awful lot of stuff to keep track of, which perhaps is appropriate for the theme of the game. I like the good quality component in the colorful art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the art was beautiful mm. in this game. The color palette was perfect for their gnomish fantasy world. Rich, deep colors, lots of browns to sort of give a medieval feel, do you think, guys? And a library mm. feel at the same time, yes. Oh, yeah, it felt yeah. ancient and magical. And I think three different types of wooden figures, is that right? There were. Yeah, there's a bunch of different shapes of uh, characters, right? Right, because there's 12 different special library powers, so each one got their special assistance. We didn't really use those in the game we played, but there's like the Dungeon of Deep Thought, the Caverns of Comprehension, the Junkyard of Enlightenment, (laughs) the Literary Laboratory. (laughs) The names on the cards for the locations and the bookshelves were brilliant. Very, very entertaining because there was always something to look at, read, and laugh at. <laughs> you know, you ha- you're you yeah. collecting cards with books names on them, and they are in alphabetical order. So one card will have the A books, and one card will have the B books. And V had Vicious Fishes, Victories No One Was There to See, and Vampire Vendetta. Terrific tyranny through time. Those book titles messed me up pretty <laughs> bad sometimes. They made me feel like I had to put those books in my collection, even though they were like a little bit counter to my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Banned books, which cost, cost you points in the end. Ironic tonic. Yes, ironic tonic. <laughs> I was like, come on. I was wondering what's in an ironic tonic, and like, why is it ironic? <laughs> Mike was getting a little too meta for the game. Totally. A very <laughs> gotta catch them all feeling. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, if you try that, you'll definitely lose. Yes, it has that ability to like make you so interested in the color text. That you forget to play the to play and win the game. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that you lose <laughs> sight of strategy. And here's the thing, art expressions on all the faces, awesome. Uh-huh. People mm-hmm. were living in this world. The art had the people having experiences. You could see it on their faces. Joy, anxiety, anger, all of it was there in the faces mm-hmm. and the expressions cool. and it made the world really come alive. Uh-huh. I think one of my favorite memories was those locations that come and go that are only available for a, a short time. I think one was a yard sale and it showed like leaves blowing in somebody's front yard and there were these boxes of books out there in front, in front of somebody's house. Yeah, and... boxes of vicious books from like other planes just sitting in a dirty <laughs> box in the front yard. Yeah, that's right. Someone's, <laughs> someone's raking the leaves or whatever. And, you know, it's just an ordinary day for them. <laughs> Put me in this setting so effectively. It had a unique way of keeping the game moving forward, too, because the locations had great abilities on them, and you use them, and they went away, and then new ones replaced them. So the game flow is going to be different every time, so it makes it super replayable. Yeah, there's 18 different locations that can be in the game, mm-hmm. so that makes it interesting. Not all of them might show up. Yeah, I almost thought it was too. there was too much going on with the locations. Uh, you know, the locations just sort of launching a special ability might have been better than the location showing up then you have to do several things to activate its sort of special ability well it kind of gets tough with a game that has so few base core mechanics to keep it fresh so i'm sure they had to do a lot of different things with each of those locations to make it seem like with the few mechanics you have to work with there was something new to do each of the location had basically two different types i mean one that you set assistant there and did something immediately 
or one that you when you put an assistant there, it resolves at the end of the turn based on what the card did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had sort of that limited amount of resources, which was your assistant. Like, ooh, go check out that yard sale, <laughs> or you know, you were telling your assistant to go do something. That that was an interesting mechanic, but uh, I, I had trouble tracking it all. There are three assistants, so you get basically three actions per turn. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Now. Let's talk about the victory conditions. Mm, let's. <laughs> it was an entire chart of different stuff that you could get victory points on. Love yeah, it. I had flashbacks to Demacher. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, it was a whole chart. Now, to be clear, it's the official library inspection form, form B7C. <laughs> Yeah, and appropriate for a library-themed game, I'm sure. Bureaucracy galore. You got points for keeping your shelves stable, which I really loved Mm because you had to build your shelf in front of you. Mm -hmm. So you built your bookshelves and and you hoped you had the best stacks. And in alphabetical order, very important. That's the very first thing you have to check. You have to check that it's in alphabetical order. No, the victory conditions reminded me of Austria Grand Hotel in a lot of ways, especially the yep. attempts to fill the bookshelves and the and the hotel rooms into nice, neat rectangles. Mm-hmm. And while you yeah. don't hire new staff in Ex Libris, you do delegate tasks to your loyal assistants and have them build up your collection and send them out to scour every nook and cranny in town. Well, well one of the important factors, I think, with the there's six different categories of books. Corrupted Codexes, Fantastical Fiction, Historic Volumes, monster manuals, reference texts, and spells and potions. And one of those categories was going to be the prominent uh, category where everybody wants to get points because everybody gets points for them. And then there's the other one, there's the banned category. Beware the banned books. Yeah, the banned books where everybody loses points for having them in their library. And then everybody has the secret category that you're looking for. Right. And which category ends up banned changes each game, which does make it interesting. Uh, one of the other things is you want to have variety. So you get points based on the books you have in the lowest represented category. Right. So it, it helps you to keep balance, kind of like some other games we played before. Don't forget dumpster diving. Oh, dumpster diving. <laughs> I mean, I love games where you can go into the discard pile and start pulling stuff back into the game. There might be a card that allows you to go into the discard pile. No way! That's a cool feature. So I like that. What is it? It's like the 50 cent book bin. Dumpster diving, as I call it. Oh, I like that. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Ex Libris. Ed, how about you? I love the theme, the components, and the art. Easy enough that I played the game with my mom. Dig it up. And Mike, how about you? It had clever humor, replayability, easy to teach and learn. So I say dig it up. Evan, how about you? Shh, this is a library game. Keep your enthusiasm to a quiet whisper as you dig up this fine game. And Joe, how about you? Uh, Dig it up as fast as you can. This game is thematically super tight. We were playing librarians. Um... And librarians probably would be into all the minutiae, but I wasn't. It didn't quite live up to my standard of just enough choices to be interesting without feeling like work. So for me, shh, a quiet berry. <laughs> we won't tell anyone. Joe, where can you find this game? I found this game online ranging in price from 30 to $40. And if you have thoughts about Ex Libris, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Which Game First. 
And our last game this week is In Pursuit, designed by Rob Davio and Dan Sanfilippo. Produced by Hasbro, number of players 4 to 8, ages 12 and up. I found this game on the cheap at the local thrift store. And right on the cover, the game pitches itself as a spin-off of Trivial Pursuit. It has the same exact style question cards. The twist is that it's a team game. However, in the end, only one team member can win. So there are opportunities for betrayal and coups. Yes, in a trivia game. You can try to take over your own team leadership for a better chance at winning, or you can jump to the other team if they're winning. All the while, you're answering questions as a team to try to move along the board and get to the finish, where you will compete to answer one final question to win. I wanted to play this game because I was always bored to tears by Trivial Pursuit, despite my love of trivia games in general, mainly due to the unwieldy length and long expanses of time between turns. And that's not even considering if you got a thinker among your players, and I'm talking to you, Joe, who wanted to think through all their questions while providing verbal essays on a bunch of (laughs) things that weren't the answer, (laughs) telling you why they weren't the answer. (laughs) What do the folks in Freeman, South Dakota, call the three-day celebration of their German-Russian roots? Bratfurst, Hansiven Days, or Schmeckfest? (laughs) You know, in the end, it is... is Americans trying to market the thing and get guys from the Sturgis run and stuff to go up there and buy fireworks. So I'm gonna go with the with the with the cheap low road marketing thing and say they call it Schmeckfest. Because the question is what do they call it? You're a genius. <laughs> so, that was the most recent thing in history. You you worked that out like yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see if in pursuit could improve on that long game time. Based on the small, simple game board and team play angle, it certainly looked like it was trying to be faster than the, and a more social experience. Ed, what'd you think of the game? A modern twist on the classic Trivial Pursuit game. Well, modern for 2001. <laughs> it's familiar and yet different, but how does it hold up? Evan, what do you think? Certainly a strange take on Trivial Pursuit. You're part of one team one round and then perhaps part of another team the next round? Hmm. Joe, how about you? This rule set really streamlines the game. It's just as much fun with less time commitment. Mike, how about you? When are they going to make a game called Consequential Pursuit? (laughs) That's a game I might enjoy. I had forgotten what a good assortment of questions Trivial Pursuit games usually had. It was nice to play them at a faster pace. It had the classic pie piece, at least. It takes up half the board in the middle. Yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> Which was basic, not much artwork to it. It looked like a string of pearls or something. They had to slam home the fact that it's Trivial Pursuit. You should buy it, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the art on the board for a second. It was graceless, fuzzy circles with like a cheap bevel and emboss style, you know, backdrop. It was like... It was like a first-year graphic designer designed this very dull-looking. Almost like an afterthought. Well, or, or maybe <laughs> they were just trying out all the options in uh, Photoshop at the time. Yeah, they were learning Photoshop on the job. <laughs> yeah, so it was a path of like bevel and embossed circles leading up to a large black circle in the middle. That's your goal, to get to the black hole in the center of the board? Well, I mean... <laughs> There, there, I think that big black circle was intended for the big plastic pie piece to go in the center of that, oh. maybe. And the pie piece had no purpose in this game. 
Oh, or the spinner at the beginning of the game to see who goes first. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Other than it being the initial spinner, you did nothing <laughs> so with the they, pie They piece. put like a $5 custom mold in the box just to see who goes first instead of arbitrarily <laughs> deciding it like other games. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Just to get that old pie into the branding. Yeah, that's what Hasbro can afford to do. I feel bad for new designers that want to pull something like that. That was probably an executive decision from above. They're just like, yeah, throw the pie piece in there. Make it huge so people yeah. know it's related to Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. We'll sell a bunch mm-hmm. of copies. We're Hasbro. <laughs> <laughs> I bet some players who normally wouldn't want to play a trivia game because they find it intimidating might be coaxed into trying this by the simplicity of the game's appearance. Yeah, I'm assuming the designer's major job here was to take Trivial Pursuit and add a spin or a twist to it. And the one twist it does have, that idea that you can jump to different groups, is pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah, it seemed like they ironed out a couple of problems with the game originally had where you have, you know, you get stuck on Team Stupid and then you're like lose for the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you don't get caught on Team Stupid or Team Slow. Now you share the stupid. You're right, you spread the stupid around. Spread the stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the the designer definitely had that in mind. And also speed it up. Yeah. Uh, The game is so much faster than Trivial Pursuit and and the team play is a great idea. I certainly can't remember it original Trivial Pursuit game that was over that quick. No, never. I mean, for anybody. You just, it takes forever to move and and get your pieces and then the oh, backward momentum. Remember oh. you could lose pie pieces in Trivial Pursuit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah then, torture. Yeah. Absolute torture. <laughs> yeah, it added a little bit of a race game element to this where you just have yeah. one track to go forward and now it's it. And you have one team or the other. And the the plastic piece you have indicates what team you are on and wh- whether or not you're the leader of that team. The goal is not only to be the, on the team that won, but you want it to be the leader of the team that win. So just because you're on the winning team doesn't mean you win. Right. You have to be the leader on the winning team is what you're saying. In order for you to win because only one of you gets to win. Now there's ways to yeah. fight it out to see who gets to be the leader, right? You have to perform a coup. There's two dice in the game. You roll both the dice, and you, one of them sets the category, and then the action you may take. Some of the actions you can take is, A, you can switch teams, mm-hmm. or you can fight for leadership of the team that you're on. Oh. Is it like a trivia duel? How do you fight for it? Yeah, it's a trivia off, oh, cool. basically. I mean, what else would be the mechanic? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else they have to work with there. <laughs> right. Fisticuffs. Uh, but beware, the questions are quite dated. So this game came out in 2001, so lots of 90s questions. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like some of the games with questions from, you know, the 20s that we've gotten before, at least. No, no, not that kind of level of question, mm. but yeah. Right, 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 yeah. But you better know your pop culture from the 90s, so older players do have an advantage. <laughs> the categories are very much just like the classic trivia pursuit games. Yeah, it looked like the questions, like the whole question box was ripped straight from the actual original Trivial Pursuit game. Certainly better than go to the head of the class, for example. Of the 48 states of the United States. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit more updated than that. <laughs> All right. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury in pursuit. Ed, how about you? I'm not a trivia buff, so my interest is low to start. And it is a bit dated, so I bury it. But. Trivia fan could get some fun out of this game. It is a little different. And Evan, how about you? I'll have to join Ed in burying it. The team concept for trivia games is fine, 
But the switching part, not enough to captivate me. Joe, how about you? If you are a diehard follower of the original Trivial Pursuit who's having a hard time getting others to play it with you because they're afraid of how long the game can be, then you really need to dig up this one. And Mike, how about you? Trivia is definitely not my bag. And I, I haven't played this one, so I'll hold out judgment, but I doubt you guys will even want to play this one with me. Oh, I would. Anytime. I mean, if you're not a hardcore trivia fan but could play every once in a while, this is a good choice. So I would say dig it up. Uh, it is, of course, out of print, um, but you can find it, you know, at one point it was everywhere. So you could find it probably at a local thrift shop or online for about 20 bucks. If you have thoughts about In Pursuit, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more episodes of the show right now, you can become a Patreon subscriber. Just go to our website and click on Become a Patron. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon subscribers get access to exclusive channels. Okay, game explorers, roll those dice, draw those cards, stack those cubes. Happy gaming. Time to play. Take care. Goodbye.